Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode. Um, this is a big milestone for us. This is our fifth content episode Woo! of the semester. Yeah, congratulations, boys. Yes. Sean, how are you going? Yeah, good, no? Yeah, sweet. And you, Terence? Ah, uh, yeah. I'm yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, the reason why I say it's a milestone is I read somewhere that, like, about 70 to 80% of podcasts fail before the fifth episode. So That's we're right. pushing it <laughs> Top right now. 20%. We're just right going to crumble after this. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we were just speaking like things are starting to ramp up right now. We've got a lot of content to get through. Um, hopefully we can get an immunology episode out and uh, some pathology stuff and then some microbiology coming later. Um, but today's episode is mainly about joints, everything about your joints and limbs. So we'd go over the articular system, so joints and everything like that, and then upper limbs, hind limbs, how it forms, uh, general anatomy, bones, muscles, innovation. But mainly the focus is not we're not going going to go super in detail with the anatomy. Mainly just going to go into ways that students can learn it easier, and that's one of the things our lecturers em- emphasised a lot. Yeah. So. To start off, what we're going to do is I'm going to go through a few questions about the articular system, some questions I wrote before, um, just about the different types of joints and things that they go. And I'll float the question and then whoever's confident enough to answer can just go for it. So I reckon we'll just get straight into it. I'll start with the different types of joints. Um, so if I was to talk about an immovable fibrous joint, what would that be called? Is that a suture? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. And do you know an example of that? Yeah, so like you have sutures on the top of your head, your cranium. Yeah. Because like, yeah, your mm. different bones, I guess, fuse together. Yeah, perfect. Because when we develop, your cranial bones develop separately and then they come and fuse together. And it's as the bones become closer, you get this fibrocartilage just pretty much joining it. And it legit looks like suture, like a sewing, right? Oh, if you look right. at some photos, and that's probably why it's called that. So yeah, yeah it's two... Um, it's an immovable joint because you can't move it, and it's fibrous because of the cartilage that joins it. Cool. Um, what about movable fibrous joints? Syndesmosis. That's the one. Yeah, man. That's, so that's that's 100% right. Um, so a movable fibrous joint, uh, an example of this one would be like the interosseous membrane between your radius and ulna. Uh, which is called a syndesmosis. And it's pretty much you've got these two bones kind of parallel to each other and then this fibrous kind of mesh or membrane in between the two bones. And because you can supinate and pronate there, it has to be movable, but it still has to keep the two two bones relatively close together. So, yeah, immovable fibrous joints are called syndesmosis. What about immovable cartilage joints? Synchondroses. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And so, do you have an example of that one? Yeah, so your um, your epiphyseal plate. Yeah. So um, that's the that's in between your diaphysis and your epiphysis. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I think it's actually um, metaphysis and yeah. epiphysis, but diaphysis yeah, is good yeah. enough. So it's between the shaft, of, the long shaft of your own, which is diaphysis, and the top part. So it's like where um, your bone grows as you grow up. Um, and that's, yeah, that's um, immovable, but it, it can move, but you have to, like, really, like, go at it. Like, yeah. lots of force for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another one's the first sternocostal joint. Mm. So that's, like, between your first rib and your, the manubrium of your sternum. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. In development, um, you pretty much have this section of hyaline cartilage between the shaft of your long bone and then the head. And as your bone grows, that cartilage kind of erodes away and until it's just bone on bone, and that's what forms that synchondrosis joint. 
Um, and also another interesting thing about that as well is um, like forensic scientists can use that to gauge roughly what age a specimen yeah. would be. Wow. Because if the bone is fused there, it means it's reached its maximal growth. So it's likely a, a, it could be a young person who's gone through puberty already, right? But if it's not fused, likely to be someone younger. And um, for the movable joints, when you have those two bones joining together, like they are, most of them do, like your sutures, um, they're called um, synoses, uh, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. synostosis. Yeah, synostosis, that's perfect, yeah. yeah. So it's the joining of two immovable joints, pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. Right. Cool. So what about movable cartilage joints? Hmm. Um, you have movable cartilage, you have... Um, Oh, shit. Um, so the, the main one is um, like a symphysis type of joint, all right, right? Yeah. So which is weird to me because when I first heard it was this joint was movable, I was like, what? Yeah. So if the one I'm talking about now is your pubic symphysis, so between the two pubic bones and your hip, and it's really small. It's pretty much there's like a hyaline cartilage plate um, around the bone areas, and then you've got this white fibrocartilage joining it. But what can actually happen is during pregnancy is the hips can kind of expand and the fibers can kind of tear a little bit as the two pubic bones spreads apart. And then that cavity can be filled with the synovial type of fluid. So it can also move a little bit. Um, I think another example of that can also be like the intra-articulate, no, like your... IBDs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your, your, your vertebrae. Yeah, 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 yeah cool. Um, yeah, so that was strange to me to think why it's movable. Um, and then you also have the like ball and socket joints. Okay, cool. So... Um, the ball and socket joint is one of the types of your synovial joints. You have a wide range of them, like saddle and condylar, bicondylar. Um, basically, you need three requirements for a synovial joint. You need a joint capsule. Uh, you need hyaline cartilage lining the bone um, where you actually articulate. And also synovial fluid. Right. But it's a special type of hyaline cartilage, isn't it? Like... Yeah, it's articular cartilage. It's the same, but it's special because the fibers are arranged a bit differently. So um, it's it's like sort of um, the McDonald's M's all the way around. Nice. And like that creates little um, bumps and little, um, you know, spaces in between. And that allows ultrasonically, it's like really porous. And it allows for basically articulation with the least amount of contact. Right. Yeah, so that plus the fact that cartilage is very hydrophilic, so it yeah. has a large water content. And plus the synovial fluid makes that a really smooth surface. So, for example, where your knees are, so there's not much abrasion there, which is really awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'd hate it if there was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you could feel it, that's also why there's no oh. nerves in those cartilages. Otherwise, that would be rough. Yeah. Like, just walking <laughs> around every day. Yeah. Um, okay, well, different types of ligaments um, associated with synovial joints. We'll start with capsular ligaments. Does anyone want to define that? Capsular ligaments are just thickenings of the joint capsule, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much so, like, you can kind of say it also is an extension of the periosteum as well. Oh, cool, yeah. So, like, for example, your medial collateral ligament is a capsular ligament because it's... No, I don't think it is, man. I think it's the lateral one that's a... I think they're both extra capsular. I think... Okay. I, I looked it up because I right, wasn't yeah, sure yeah. from Leisha. Yeah, I yeah. think your MCL and your LCL are both extra capsular. Okay, all right. Yeah. And then intracapsular is like your ACL and PCL. So anterior cruciate and posterior cruciate ligaments. Right. Um, because they're within that joint capsule. And that's where, like, the synovial fluid and everything is. And they just, like, connect the bones. Like, Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. Cool. So extra capsular ligaments. We've got a Google check here. 
So it's listed them all there because I'm pretty sure he did say in the lecture that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I think um, technically the intracapsular ligaments of the knee are your ACL and your PCL, and also the medial and lateral meniscus. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, true. Nice. Um, all right, now synovial joints have like special features about them that some can have. We'll go through those special features now. So anyone want to tell me what like a labrum is or? Yeah, so labrum actually means like lips. It's mm. just basically like this sort of socket, I guess. Like it's a bit of shaped cartilage that's kind of like a lip and you can put it like ball and socket, right? You can put the ball in the socket. Yeah, so it's pretty much an extension of the socket uh, made of this white fibro cartilage. So it helps for a better fit of that ball and socket. So that's perfect. Yeah, it deepens the joint. Cavity. Yeah. Right. Yeah, awesome. Um, what about bursa? Oh, yeah, bursa. This one's weird. Bursa trips me up. Yeah. I think it's just um, it's just another joint capsule without mm. hyaline cartilage. Yeah. And I think the function is to just allow muscle and tendon to move over each other more smoothly. Yeah. Yeah, and you can get um, bursa developing at weird areas depending on how much you use the joint. Right? Yeah, do you want to give an example of that? Yeah, one of them that they mentioned in the lecture was the rifleman's bursa. So, like, you get this um, sac, I guess that Terence was describing over your, I think, I don't know, is it like your clavicle area? Yeah, yeah, it's a preclavicular bursa, yeah, that's yeah. what it's called, so around that shoulder area. Yeah, right, yeah. and that's just because, like, it's, you've been, well, they got it in World War One because they'd been resting their rifles on that mm -hmm. area, and then your body just adapts to make that area very movable and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so what that allows is that allows for the skin and the bone to kind of move independently because there's that um, area there in the middle. And like a clinical fun fact for you guys. So you have your um, acromion of your um, scapula, right? And you have a subacromial bursa. And um, when that gets inflamed, um, the the, the it's not synovial membrane. Well, you have a membrane that secretes fluid there. Yeah. Um, it, um, when it gets inflamed and irritated, it secretes more, and that builds up the pressure, and your nerves can actually sense that. Mm. So it can get really uh, painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and let's talk a bit about intraarticular discs. So what are they? What are their functions? Yeah. Intraarticular discs. Those are the ones that make a functional divide yeah. in the joint cavity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So made of fibrocartilage usually, and they... Everything's fibrocartilage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, so it separates movements between areas. Um, and just, can you guys think of an example of that off the, the top of your head? Yeah, mandible. Temporomandibular joint. joint. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty TNG. sure, yeah, pretty sure the upper jaw allows for that protraction and retraction. And then the lower one, you can do that depression and elevation. Yeah, you can feel it. Yeah. 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 If you try moving your jaw around right now, the movements of like your upper jaw and your lower jaw are like, distinct separated because of that those intra-articular discs yeah which is right. pretty cool what about menisci uh those are just partial intracellular um intracellular yeah. <laughs> um uh, intra-articular discs yeah so um they also make a functional divide um the ones in the knee are like the ones like everyone gets taught so yeah. you have your medial and your lateral in the knee mm. um before we talk about the functionality of that um they're not shock shock absorbers yeah. like everyone says they are but, like, your bones are w well and, like, fine enough to, like, deal with, like, um, pressure and uh, stresses like that so that your bone can adapt. It doesn't need shock absorbers. Um, what they do is, like, they increase the congruency at the joint. So, like, when your knee's flexed, you actually have a rounded bit in the socket. 
um, articulating with a flat surface. So the, your, so the rounded bits, your femur, and the flat surfaces, your tibia. Um, and that's like kind of problematic because like if you didn't have those menisci, your femur would be going like forward and backward on the joint. So you need those um, extra like um, points of contact just to hold the knee in place. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, Sean, can you tell me more about the functional divide for the knee? But the menisci do, do that does there. Right. So it's just like a C shape. Is that what you were going for? Oh no, I was talking about like what movements like happen oh, out there. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah. Norm, do you know? Um. Well, you can't really when your knees planted. You can't really twist. Are you talking about like when your knees bent? What yeah. So like happen? above above the menisci. Um, you have flexion and extension, yeah. and below you have rotation. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, when your knees bent, you can also rotate your feet like that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. thirty degrees. Yeah, yeah no, that's I think cool. um, a way to demonstrate that is if you lie on your side on the floor, you like make sure your hips not moving, mm-hmm. and then there you can still move your feet and like that, like rotate your feet, and that rotation because your hips st- like not still, it means it is coming from the knee, and it's about thirty degrees. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's, that's another reminder how it also functionally divides the joint, which is really cool. Um, and what about fat pads? Yeah, those are just like fat menisci, right? Yeah, yeah just, They're just yeah. a bit of fat that separates the joint or the bones in the joint. Yeah, yeah. Soft menisci that project in from the joint capsule. Um, cool. Also like to add that menisci also spread the synovial fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right. So it's not a shock absorber, but it's more of a shock distributor. Yeah. It spreads it out. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of interesting roles there as well. Um, what part of the joint has no nerve supply? I think we kind of touched on this a little bit. So it's the parts where you really don't want it, so the articular surfaces, so like your hyaline cartilage. Yeah, um, Where else? Yeah, articular cartilages and then also menisci as well. Which right, is, yeah. Okay, cool. And then pretty much everything else of the joint has nerve supply, so you can feel things around the bone and the joint capsule, but not necessarily inside it because that wouldn't be great. Um, does anyone want to tell me what Hilton's law is? Oh, I know this one. Yeah. So it's um when a muscle, I when a muscle goes over a joint, the nerve supplying the muscle will also give um have sensory input. Uh, will give sensory innovation to the joint. Right. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and I feel like that's such a handy rule. Yeah. Because no, if you can understand that. that, then it will just help you know what like if joints are innovated as well. Yeah. Right. So that's awesome. Another quick one. Um. Generally speaking, does blood supply run dorsally or ventrally, and why? I'm not sure. Um, ventrally. Yeah, yeah ventrally. Because yeah. um, uh, evolutionarily, um, evolutionary, I never know that word. Um, yeah. <laughs> attacks come from, like, the external stuff, external um, part. So, yeah. like, so that, that would be your back when you were a quad, quadruped. Um, so, ventral, it just keeps, like, all the nerves and the blood um, supply safe. Yeah. Um, also, like... If you think about it, if you had your blood supply on the other side, on your dorsal side, um, it would have to be longer. Um, and here, when it's on the ventral side, when you have flexion, the um, vasculature only ever gets shorter. And extension's the longest it'll ever be. But like, if you were on the dorsal side, um, flexion would result in you needing like longer, you yeah, know, longer exactly. Yeah, stuff. So it's both to reduce the distance and to protect it from external threats. Yeah. Um, and on that note of flexion, sometimes when you flex, you can cut off blood supply, right? And what's a, a thing that your body's developed to help overcome that? Right. Is it peri... 
Well, I know that it's just like different, like sort of just a mesh of blood vessels. Yeah, exactly. But I forgot the name yeah. of it. Is it? Periarticular anastomosis. Right. It's basically your marginal artery for yeah, joints. Yeah, 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 for yeah, joints. It is, yeah. yeah. They're both anastomoses. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's legit just alternative routes for blood to go in case one area gets pinched off, which is pretty handy in a, in a lot of ways. Um, so those were a bit of different features of Sonovu joints and a little bit of rules of thumb about innovation and things like that. Now we'll talk about um, movements and shapes um, of synovial joints. Um, we'll start off with like u- the idea of a uniaxial joint. Uh, what do I mean when I say that? Like it just goes in one direction. Yeah, so right? it has one degree of freedom. Uh, what's an example of a movement that is just uniaxial? Your interphalanges, yeah, interphalangeal yeah. joints, yeah, cool. flexion extension. Yeah, so yeah. Um, like your the joints of your fingers, um, you can only flex and extend there. You can't really abduct or adduct. You can only do that at your knuckles, yeah. which is the metacarpophalangeal joints, yeah. which is also an example of a biaxial, which is two degrees of freedom. Right. Um, and what's another example of a biaxial joint in your hand? Hmm. Is it your thumb? Yeah, there's a, there's a joint in your thumb, yeah. Is you it know, the saddle joint? Yeah, the yeah. saddle joint, yeah. So that's the carpometacarpal joint. And that allows for both adduction and flexion of yeah. the joint. Yeah, so that thumb's a bit weird because its axes are different. Mm. It's um, it's not... Your whole hand, it's like running down the middle meta... Like your yeah. middle digit, yeah. like down there. Yes. But your thumb's like 90 degrees to it. So abduction is like bringing your thumb. If you had it flat, it's like bringing your thumb up a bit. That's mm. abduction. Abduction is bringing it back down, so it's flat with your hand surface. And flexion is like going into the middle of the palm, and extension is bringing it back. So mm. it's it's um ninety degrees to the um the rest of the um plane for the hand. And there's another special movement the thumb can do as well. Well, a combination of movements, I guess, and it's called. Opposition? Yeah, opposition. Yeah. Yeah. And um, circumrotation? Circumvention. Circumduction. Yeah. Cool. So um, opposition is just when your thumb touches your pinky pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And that's a combination of both abduction, so it's coming out, and flexion is coming in. Yeah, awesome. So then if biaxial joints have two degrees of freedom, then multiaxial joints have... Unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> Examples? Yeah, give us yeah. an example of that one. So, like, your obvious one is your glenohumeral joint. Like, yeah. You can move your arm all around, I guess, because it's kind of loose. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure. Does three degrees of freedom mean you can flex, extend, adduct, abduct, and you can also rotate? Yeah. It's like three planes, pretty yeah. much, yeah. Exactly. So, that's a good example. Pretty much all ball and socket joints are like that, most yeah. of them. Um, and you also have like your plane and facet joints. So plane joints are pretty much between your carpal bones. Don't have as much movement as like ball and socket joints, but you can still move around three degrees. And then plane joints are where your vertebra, like your lumbar vertebra, so you can kind of turn both ways, forward and backwards. Um, but you can't, or you can rotate as well a little bit. Or I can't. It'd be rotate. like a wriggle. Yeah. It'd be like a if you imagine two like pretty flat surfaces on top of each other, they can like. There's like um, a lot of friction, yeah, yeah. Um, but like yeah, it's it's a wriggle in all directions pretty yeah. much. So technically they are multiaxial, but they're limited by other things. You can also get plane joints um, at your sacroiliac. Mm. Um, yeah, awesome, cool. So last question for this bit, I want to ask you. This is a 
I tried to write an exam style question. So how do the rotator cuff muscles work to counteract the translational forces being produced by prime movers such as pectoralis major? (laughs) (laughs) Just a quick summary of that one, I reckon. Yeah. um, Well, is it just that the rotator cuff has lots of insertions or... So like, um, all right, so your pec major, right? Yeah. Your pec major is pulling your humerus into your coracoid process yeah. and it's like banging it into them. Yeah. And like, as we know, the glenohumeral um, joint, it's like shallow. So like, so like in your hip, for example, like your femurs, the ball, the head of your femur is like two thirds into your hip socket. Um, it's way less shallow in your um, glenohumeral and we have the labor room to help, but like, you know, it, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. So it's pretty much the pec major, when it contracts, it's banging your um, shoulder into your, <laughs> your glenohumeral, in, <laughs> your humerus into your coracoid. <laughs> yeah. um, what the rotator cuff muscles do, they like stabilizes, right? So like when your pec major contracts, they also contract. And that kind of um, keeps the gleno, um, keeps the head of the humerus inside the, <laughs> inside the, the glenoid fossil. Glenoid yeah. fossil. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking acetabulum. Yeah. I was like, no, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So your four rotator cuff muscles. Yeah. yeah. You, you have your supraspinatus on the front. Oh, no, no, sorry. You have your subscapularis in your front. Yeah. Your supraspinatus on your top. Yeah. Infraspinatus on your back. And teres minor just running next to that. Yeah. That's um, the yeah. perfect answer. Hey, so you're just making sure that that the head of the humerus stays within that glenoid fossa yeah. and that it doesn't get pulled out completely by the, your massive pecs. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's perfect. I mean, massive depending on who you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome. So that was the little bit of a quiz section done. Awesome. So next up, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the forelimb and the hind limbs and how they're different and why, embryologically speaking. So we'll go a bit about the, um, pretty much the rotation and development of those limbs, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Terence, you want to take us through that a little bit? Yeah. Um, it's pretty hard to explain without an image. So yeah, if you yeah. guys could pull up a GIF or something, yeah. that would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, basically, so your forelimbs and your hind limbs rotate. So, like, if you imagine you're a lizard, um, I'm sure you do that often, um, <laughs> you're, like, kind of splayed out. Your arms are just by your side, you know. Your thumb is preaxial, so it's, like, pointing towards your head, and your, th- and your pinky is postaxial. Yeah. So what happens is, basically, um, all three movements um, happen at the same time, um, technically, um, but you, you can think of them as happening step by step. It doesn't really change. So first, not the first thing, but, like, what the three things that happen is... Um, Lateral rotation, for, or for the forelimb, first of all, um, it's different in the hind limb, we'll get to it. So it's lateral rotation, adduction, and extension. Um, lateral rotation basically means that you're bringing your arm, you're rotating it towards the umbilic- umbilicus pretty much, and by the end of it, your thumb will be pointing upwards. Um, that's pretty much it. And like, it's hard to demonstrate on your own body because you're, you tend to supinate at the forearm when you try to bring it um, back to the original position. So um, it's better to look at an animal, pretty much. So you have that lateral rotation, and that results in your dorsal muscles being um, caudal and your ventral muscles being uh, cranial, right? Yeah, and it's the opposite in the hind limb, which we'll get to. Um, and then adduction. Adduction is a bit easier to understand. It's basically just tucking your limbs under your body, right? Um, yeah, and that's helpful for us. Because um, we stand on um, 
two legs. Yeah, with the yeah. hind limbs, yeah, that's important. As opposed to like our limbs being on the side of our body like a lizard and just scuttling along. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then the final thing is extension, which is pretty self-explanatory. You know, we're not like velociraptors, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's fully, um, yeah, the limbs extend, so they're fully um, under, kind of under the thorax-ish, around the thorax, so you can move it around freely like that. Um, and the, pretty much the same thing happens with the hind limb, except the rotation is different, right? Yeah, and also technically we also pronate, mm. um, but... We don't really count that because in anatomical position, you're supinated. But, like, no one stands in anatomical position. So yeah. 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 Yes. Uh, do you guys want to talk through the hind limb? Yeah, so with the hind limbs, the same process pretty much happens except you have a medial rotation that occurs. Um, so pretty much, the like, let's say, yeah, again, you've got your thumbs pointing towards your skull and then your pinkies pointing towards your feet if you're, like, on all fours. And then you have this medial rotation. So is then it's like your thumbs are kind of pointing to like dorsally. Is that where it goes? Kind of like that? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. No, they're pointing down. Pointing down. down. Pointing, down. pointing down. Pointing downwards, yeah. yeah. And I guess they're your big toes. Kind yeah, of your big yeah, toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you same, have that like adduction process where it comes under your body. And then extension so that um, that our like abdomen and thorax are like lined up with our hind limbs so we can walk bipedally yeah yeah and that helps to adduct because um in lizards if you've seen them run um they move um they move laterally a lot like if you see the line of movements in a straight line but they deviate from where they're going quite a lot side to side in humans um much less so because we've adducted that lower limb yeah so that ends up meaning that when you're in an anatomical position so your palms are facing forward um and you're standing up straight, that means that the muscles on the anterior side are going to be developmentally ventral, and then the muscles on the posterior side will be dorsal. But then for your legs, the side that's facing the front, so the anterior side, are going to be dorsal, and the sides of your back, so like the back of your knee, are going to be ventral. Um, So I think, yeah, so that's the interesting part. And if we want to talk more about dorsal and ventral muscles, We'll talk about the upper limb. So where would ventral muscles originate from the upper limb? There's two or a few main areas that that come from. Uh, right. Is it... Scapula. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So coracoid yeah. process yeah. and the supraglenoid tubercle. Ah, yes. Um, yeah. But it can also come from like your sternum, your sternum like your, your pecs clavicle. and clavicle. Yeah, so it's pretty much everything on the front. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. also those two bits of the scapula. Yeah. Mm. The two we said, the supraglenoid tubercle and, and the, the coracoid, coracoid process. Yeah. So then everything else is dorsal muscles attached to it of yeah. your clavicle. Um, and then with your hind limbs, so your legs, the dorsal muscles will attach either to the vertebral column or the ilium. Yeah. Whereas the ventral muscles will be attached to the pubis and ischium. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Um, yeah, and then should we talk a bit about like the um, hypermere and epimere stuff again, like in the nerves that it brings along? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, or throwback. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have your derma myotomes. They're lovely. Um, yeah. you have you can split them up into the hypaxial and the epaxial. The hypaxial epaxial is dorsal, hypaxial is ventral. Uh, we only care about the hypaxial stuff today. Yeah. Um, hypaxial, the the dermis component, the hypaxial derm dermatome disintegrates. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Plug old plug. Go back and listen. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The hypaxial my, uh, my uh, myotome, hypaxial myotome, it 
uh, kind of lumps, the lumps clump off each other. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So um, uh, one forms like your ventral muscles and the other forms your dorsal, but they're both innervated by ventral rami yeah. because it's still hypaxial. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much each one of these little, um, like I guess you could say myotome segments, dorsal myotome segments, are joined by a ventral rami. And that this is epax, right? And as that goes, let's say your limb starts budding off. So you have that lateral plate mesoderm budding off, and then you have that hypaxial myotome following it. It drags its nerve supply with it. So that's very useful because that means that both the muscle and the... Also means the overlying skin also is innervated by the same nerve, right, of that muscle. And that's what a dermatome is, right? Yeah. How's yeah. It, yeah so how is a dermatome embryologically different than a, a dermatome that I just mentioned. Sure. Yeah, so embryological dermatome is the actual layer, whereas when we talk about dermatomes um, in a different anatomical sense, I guess, we're actually talking about, like, the area of skin that is innervated by... And muscle. And muscle, sorry, that is innervated by a branch of nerves. A spinal nerve, a yeah. segment of a spinal nerve, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. So now I think we've reached the point where we can... Okay, let's start at the shoulder joint, right? Well, shoulder joints, I'd say. There's four joints that connects the, we'll say, shoulder girdle to the thorax. Yeah. What are those four joints? So there's glenohumeral, which yeah. is like your humerus and the shoulder. Then there's clavic... Wait, what is it? Sternoclavicular. Sternoclavicular. And then your... Acromio. Acromioclavicular? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Acromioclavicular, yeah. Yeah, the acromium is just like this bit of your scapula. Yeah, it's yeah. the um it's the lateral uh, end of your sca- of your clavicle. There's the called the acromium. Oh, and right. then that joins with the acromial process of the scapula. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and then you also have one more. And the most important one, actually, is the scapulothoracic thoracic. <laughs> yeah and that is really important because it basically helps you move your entire shoulder i guess yeah in all different directions um yeah. and what nerve innervates the shoulders anyone know that oh the shoulders um yeah. i know your deltoids innervated by axillary nerve. yeah that's it that's yeah. it so deltoid muscles axillary nerve yeah. Right, so if we're again in anatomical position, so the anterior portion, we'll talk about the arm, which is just between the shoulder and the elbow joint. What innervates the anterior or ventral part of the arm? Musculocutaneous. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah musculocutaneous. And what three muscles does it innervate, Sean? Uh, is it the three Bs? <laughs> or BBC? Oh, BBC, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's your biceps brachii. Yeah. Your coracobrachialis. Oh, let me do the other B first. It's um, brachialis. And then your... Brachioradialis. And your coracobrachialis. Yes. The thing about brachioradialis, right? So it's a... Is it... It's a developmentally dorsal... No. Because it does... There's there's something weird about it. It's like an exception. Because it doesn't do flexion or something. No, it does. It does do do flexion, but it's a dorsal muscle. Now, do we get BBC, right? I'm pretty sure we did. Let's have a check. We will. Uh, we will. Update. No, we didn't. Sean, you were right. It is brachialis. It is brachialis. Okay. The yeah. way you remember is because the radius is in the forearm. Yeah, so I think yeah, the brachioradialis yeah. is in the forearm. Yeah, well. brach. No, because Norm mentioned brachioradialis is an exception because it's developmentally dorsal. Yeah. But it does flexion yeah. at the elbow. 
instead of extension. Yeah, cool. Oh, okay, never mind. Just ignore it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about the posterior portion of the arm, the, the dorsal part? What is that innervated by? Yeah, your tries. Yeah, your no, tries. Radial, radial. Oh, nerve. innovated. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I thought you were asking about yeah. radial nerve. Yeah. yeah. And then let's talk about the forearm. So past the elbow joint, anteriorly, what do we have um, innovating? Median and ulnar. Yeah, so cool. median does 90% of it mm. and ulnar does 10% of it. And why is that? Um, because ulna does most of the stuff in your hand, right? Exactly. Yeah. So ulna yeah. does most things in the hand, so it doesn't really waste much time in the forearm. And then radial nerve continues through the posterior part of the forearm. Yeah. And then we get to the hand. And what's then we've already kind of spoken about that. Yeah. So you have both median and ulna there, but it's mostly the ulna nerve. There's only a ventral compartment. Exactly. The hand is considered only ventral, just like the feet as well. So that's mainly... Not, the, not like the feet. There's no. two compartments in the feet. Oh, does it actually? Right. Yeah. There's one very small compartment in oh, the foot. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it is, does have... I know the top of the foot is innervated by the deep perineal and yeah. then the bottom of the foot is the tibial nerve. Yeah, yeah. 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 two compartments. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Um, let's look now at the hind limbs. So let's talk about the thigh area, uh, in particularly uh, um, anteriorly, which are dorsal muscles. Yes. Um, what innervates that section of the thigh? So Ooh. anterior and It's like four compartments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so go, go compartment by compartment. Yeah, so yeah right. Let's talk about like mainly... Um, oh, yeah. Okay, wait. Femoral, right? Yeah, femoral, That's your femoral yeah. nerve at the anterior? Yeah. yeah, and then laterally you've got... Your common, common perineal. Common perineal. And there's also some gl- like gluteal nerves there or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah gluteal, yeah. 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 And then um, medially... Obturator. 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 Sweet, yeah. so your adductor group. And... Posteriorly, tibial. Exactly, yeah. tibial. And tibial goes down all the way to the leg as well. Yeah. And all the way to the bottom of your feet. So yeah, it runs cheat code. All the way yeah. along. Um, and then there's also like the sciatic nerve, which is a bit higher, and that's pretty much where, where the tibial and common perineal come from. Yeah. So they're all branched from the sciatic nerve. Yeah. Um, but also technically two nerves. Yeah. One together. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also, usually um, flexion is defined as two ventral surfaces coming together, whereas extension is defined as two dorsal surface co- surfaces coming together. The only exception where that happens is in the sagittal thigh here, where you have the dorsal muscles of your thigh, yeah. like, for example, the iliopsoas group, which is your hip flexors. Yeah. And as you flex your hip and bring your a thigh closer to your, um, your stomach, um, that's a flexion movement, but it's the, yeah, technically. The dorsal muscle. Developmentally yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a dorsal surface coming to a ventral surface, yeah, but yeah. it's still a flexion of the hip. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, so now we move down to the leg, which is below the knee joint. Yeah. Um, tell me a bit about the nerves there. Okay, so is there three compartments? Yeah. And one is, okay, so you have your common perineal branching at this point. Yeah. And it has the superficial perineal, which yeah. I think is your... Lateral, lateral, yeah, yeah. Um, compartment, and then you have your deep perineal, which is your posterior. Oh no, and anterior compartment, anterior, anterior yeah. which so is those two are both ventral. ventral. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, like I said before, the deep perineal keeps going and then comes back up to do the top part of your foot, which is also yeah. called the dorsal part of your foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the bottom of your foot, which is innervated before, like we said, with the tibial nerve. Cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what movements can you do at the foot? Foot. The foot can do um, flexion and uh, extension. So flexion is actually plantar flexion, which you're going down. So like standing on your tippy toes, like a ballerina. 
and extensions actually dorsiflexion, which is coming up. And also you can do eversion and in um in yeah, yeah, inversion, inversion, yeah, inversion and eversion. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that all right, so two joints. The talocrural does the stuff that I just talked about, the flexion and extension. Yeah. This or oh, subtarsal? Subtarsal yeah, like sub, subtaral or something. Yeah, subtarsal. It's like yeah. it's like the joints behind your um, and below that tar- that yeah, yeah taral joint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what does the inversion and eversion. Yeah. And speaking of like the tarsals, um, if anyone wants to remember the carpal bones, which are of the hand, I've got a little like mnemonic that a lecturer told me once. So if you just get out like your left hand, palm facing towards you, um, go from the lateral side. And so at the base of your tongue, you've, so I'll give you the mnemonic first. So some lovers try positions that they can't handle, which is one that I, I remember. Just You just remember the weird ones. Like when we get to cranial nerve, I'm going to tell you a weird one. Yeah. But um, So first you've got the scaphoid. So we're starting laterally and moving um, medially, moving inwards. So you've got scaphoid, some, lovers, lunate, and then triquetral, tri, and then positions, pisiform. So that makes up four bones here moving laterally to medially, and then we go back to the second row, which we move back up one above the scaph- scaphoid. And then you go, so that some lovers try positions that, with that, which is tra- trapezio- trapezium. And then there's they, trapezoid. And then can't, capitate, and then hamate, handle. So you there's like two rows, right? The first one is more proximal. Second one's more distal. And if you just start counting from the first row medially and then move back up to the second row and then do the same thing, that's a cool mnemonic for that. You can use to remember that. And going back, fact-checking, the subtalar joint does yeah. eversion, inversion. Yeah. Cool. And it's made up of the um, articulations between the talus, calcaneus, and navicular bones. Right. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, another, um, what's, what's it called? When, mnemonic. Mnemonic yeah. that I forgot to say before. And I actually forgot that this is a thing, so that's why I got the brachioradialis wrong. But it's actually three Bs bend the elbow. Three Bs bend three the elbow. Yeah. Bend the elbow. Nice. So it's your biceps brachii, your brachialis, and your brachioradialis. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, do we have anything else to add? Um, your brachioradialis receives dual motor innovation right. from your muscular cutaneous and... It's either median or ulna. I, I think believe it's, it's I ulna. Think it's ulna yeah, it's yeah, ulna. Yeah, it's yeah, ulna. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. That's, yeah, that's interesting. But I think that's pretty much covered everything. Yeah. And Terence has to shoot off the class real quick. Yeah. But he also wants to tell us something interesting before he goes. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fun ana- ana- anatomy fact. Average penis length in the last decade has, like, shot up astronomically. I'll just check the exact percentage for you Jared's guys. going crazy right now. Yeah, he's, he's uh, listening. 24%, guys. 24%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's I, insane. So I don't know why, but uh, that's uh, um, one of those things. Yeah. yeah, cool, man. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, see you later, See you guys. later. Enjoy yeah. class. It also might be radial nerve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100% on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll check it, yeah. Yeah. Cool, but other than that, I think we've pretty much done, right? Yeah, I think so. Cool. One more thing I wanted to add, though, is... A um, bit of a plug back to the um, Viagra lesson, well, <laughs> podcast we did. Um, my dad told me he was watching Top Gear and that they actually took Viagra um, when they were at really high altitudes. And apparently that's meant to help with altitude sickness, which is pretty insane, oh, right? right? I had a quick Google and there was like an RCT that did very small sample, like 12 people. And they, it had, they had like ended up having um, a lot of b- better outcomes, right? So they had more uh, oxygen retention, things like that. Because... 
supposedly the Viagra is meant to keep those blood vessels dilated, right? Where mm-hmm. when you're at high altitudes, you're, what can happen is your blood vessels can contract because you want to keep all the blood safe for your internal organs. But what the Viagra will do then is maintain that dilation so that you get more blood to your muscles as well. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So, drugs like Viagra are like being trialed to see if it helps for altitude sickness, which is That's also awesome. an interesting fact. Yeah. Yeah. Sick. Anything else we should cover? I think I think we're all done. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening. Um, yeah, lim lim anatomy is like a bit difficult just because there are so many names. But if you spend time with it, you get acquainted with it. I didn't know a lot of names today. But yeah, yeah. I could kind of tell what was going on because you just get familiar with it. Mm. I think we can do like a quick crash course of just like bones and muscles, just really quick. We'll just go start from the shoulder. So yeah. you've got. Like we spoke about the four shoulder joints, you've got your deltoid muscle, which pretty much does every action. As yep. you go down, you've got your biceps group there, the three Bs you're talking about. Behind that is the triceps, and the main bone there is the humerus. Yep. And then past the shoulder joint, you've got radius and ulna. So when your palms are facing towards you and your thumbs pointing outwards, yep. um, your radius is on the lateral side, and then your ulna is medial. Yep. Um, so those are the two bones of the forearm. And then we've spoken about carpal bones. And then yep. you have metacarpal bones. Yep. And then you have phalanges. Four digits, two, three, four, five. So your fingers, not including the thumb, they've got proximal, middle, and distal phalanges, whereas the thumb only has a proximal and a distal phalange. Cool. So that's pretty much your, just a quick one there. Um, And then with your limbs, your lower limbs, you've got the femur, which is the main bone of the thigh. And then past the knee joint, you have the tibia, Mm -hmm. which is... Also, the main one, it's like more medial, central, and then lateral to that, you have the fibula. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also pretty sure you've also got like an intrusseous membrane there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so you've got your quadriceps groups on the thigh, hamstrings groups, uh, groups on the back. back. That yeah. would help in what? Uh, flexing the leg. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's also some, um, like, there's, uh, I think it's one of the heads of the hamstrings also crosses um, to crosses the hip joint, so it also helps with extension, like when you're doing deadlifts and stuff. Oh, nice. Um, and then you've got, like, the um, your calf muscles, like gastronemia soleus, and then anteriorly you have, like, pretty short tibialis anterior, one of those, helps right. with um, dorsiflexion. And, yeah, so honestly, muscles and bones of the limbs aren't too too bad. You just learn it. Probably the more difficult ones are the little muscles you have, like the extensors and flexors. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. For your fingers, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll go into those more detail in another one. It's easier to look at a diagram because you can then like kind of count medially to lateral or however it works for you and also look superficially at those muscles as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. But cool. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hopefully we'll have a immunology and pathology ones coming out yeah, soon. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, some big ones. The content's getting heavy. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. yeah it's, it's intense. Um, I always think like, damn, I'm... Imagine being an art student and <laughs> seeing this stuff for the first time. Yeah. Like, that's, that would be insane. Because yeah. the immunology lectures we got, we got, like, two, and it pretty much covered a whole, like, half a unit we did last year. And it was, like, the most difficult unit we did. Yeah. So, yeah, so, it was a lot. But Yeah. But, you know, I hope and I think everyone has the potential to get through. Yeah, no, seriously, my, my message to you guys would be just take it a day at a time. Take it one thing at a time. Don't get too overwhelmed with the... The, everything that's coming up just break it up into little bits okay first I'm going to do this then I'm going to do this you know take it little steps at a time and before you know it you'll have a handle of things 
Yeah. Cool. Sweet. No worries. Sweet. So thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you on the next one.